You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture today is taken from the Common English Bible in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you've found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went. And look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord has spoken through the prophet. I have called my son out of Egypt. The Word of God for the people of God. Pray with me. God Almighty, cleanse my heart, my mind, and my lips as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your word and not mine, and that your people may hear the good news in spite of my failings. Christmas, the the most wonderful time of the year. That's what the song says, and and it should be. It's a special time. It's a time where people just seem to be warmer and closer with each other. 
It should be a most wonderful time, but sometimes it's not. Have you ever spent Christmas Eve in an apartment by yourself, or maybe without enough food to feed you or the family? Or have you ever spent Christmas Eve or Christmas Day with somebody in your family who's very, very sick? Have you ever spent the day in the hospice at the bedside of someone who's dying? Or maybe gone to visit someone who in your family was institutionalized? Have you ever spent Christmas Day or Christmas Eve in the emergency room or in a police station or, or even in a jail? Have you ever spent Christmas Day in a bus station, Christmas Eve in a hotel room alone in a strange city? Have you ever spent Christmas Eve in an all-night diner? I've been in many of these places on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And if I was lucky, something wonderful would happen. People, strangers, would, would seem to be friendlier and warmer with each other, buying each other cups of coffee in that diner. Or maybe visiting with people that you ordinarily wouldn't visit with, like talking to a, an old police sergeant about Christmas days in the past. I've been in many of these places. But we, we need to remember that there can be terrible sorrow and violence on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I had a very close friend, a dear friend, who was a surgeon, and he would tell me that if I could tell him the time of day on Christmas Eve, right through the night and right into the morning and the afternoon of Christmas Day, if I could tell him the time, he could tell me the type of person, the sex, where they came from in the story of those who came into the emergency room because they'd attempted suicide or, or it maybe succeeded. It would, it would begin in Christmas Eve with those who'd just been released from a prison or from an institution and had no place to go. It would continue through the night and into the day, and it would finish at the end of Christmas Day with usually the very elderly, those who had been home alone all day and nobody had reached out to them. It can be a terrible day of violence and sorrow that seems out of all place. It would be out of place any day of the year, but somehow especially out of place on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And that brings us to today's scripture. Traditionally, it's called the Massacre of the Innocents. It was a naked, desperate act of violence by a desperate, violent, power-hungry king who was deathly afraid of losing his power. Brian McLaren describes this well. Herod did what any desperate, ruthless dictator would do. First, he tried to enlist some foreign mystics known to us as the wise men from the East. He wanted them to be his spies to help him discover the child's identity and whereabouts so he could have the child killed. But the wise men were warned of his deceit in a dream and so avoided becoming his unwitting accomplices. Realizing this, his plan A had failed. He launched his plan B. 
He sent his henchmen to find out and kill any young boy living in the area of Bethlehem. But the particular boy he sought had already been removed from Bethlehem and taken elsewhere. And the result? A slaughter of innocent children in Bethlehem, as is the case with any biblical sto- many biblical stories. Some scholars doubt this mass slaughter occurred, since none is recorded in other histories of the time. Others argue that Bethlehem was a small town, so the total number of casualties may have been 20 or 30. And dictators certainly have their ways of keeping atrocities secret, just as they have their ways of making their exploits known. Whatever the infant death count in Bethlehem, we know Herod killed some of his own children when they became a threat to his agenda. So even if the story's been fictionalized to some degree, there's a deeper truth that has much to tell us today. This is why it matters so much for us to grapple with what we believe about God. Does God promote or demand violence? Does God favor the sacrifice of children for the well-being of adults? Is God best reflected in the image of powerful old men who send the young and vulnerable to die on their behalf? Or is God best seen in the image of a helpless baby identifying with the victims, sharing their vulnerability, full of fragile but limitless promise? The deeper truth, the deeper truth is that there is hope. In spite of our history of sacrificing children for the well-being and security of adults, violence is not God's last word. Murdering children was a common act of war. And take a look at the final verses of Psalm 137 sometime for just how violent that can be. Herod's act was one more random act of terror among so many random acts of terror before or since. Random acts done by those with the certainty that they were doing right in obeying their commander-in-chief. But violence is not God's last word. In McLaren's words, as long as elites plot violence, as long as children pay the price, and as long as mothers weep, we cannot be satisfied. We cannot be satisfied without being aware and without having hope. Violence is not God's last word. That's the first lesson of today's scripture. Violence is not God's last word. The, the second lesson is to be aware. Like Joseph was aware of, we should be aware of when we must protect others, to protect the precious Joseph, as the story goes, became aware of Herod's intentions in a dream gifted by God, and he takes the child and Mary to safety in Egypt, and that may well be true. I prefer to think that his dream may have confirmed his suspicions. As a man of his time and place, Joseph would know very well when authority and power are challenged, they kill. He would have seen that with the Romans, he would have seen that with the Herods. And he has heard from his visitors that Herod had been making inquiries about the new king, about the child. Perhaps he told his visitors about Herod's history. And that's why they took a different route home. In all events, he knew the weak must flee from power and authority, and that's exactly what he did. Like Joseph, we need to be aware of when we have to protect God's Son. We need to know when we must protect the Christ that is within us, that we not allow ourselves to fold our hearts into violence. 
Eddie Hellesman put it this way when she was imprisoned and facing death in the Nazi concentration camps. Alas, there doesn't seem to be much you yourself can do about our circumstance, about our lives, and neither do I hold you, God, responsible. You cannot help us, but we must help you and defend your dwelling place inside us to the last. Like Eddie, we cannot give ourselves over to violence, even if that seems the way to go. Instead, we need to give ourselves over to hope. And that's the second lesson of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and the murder of the innocents. The third lesson is to know how to use God's hope. Those lost, who lost their children in Herod's stormtroopers likely had no idea as to why the violence and death and murder had come down onto them. Like I said, it was one more random act of violence in an otherwise violent world. And we've heard and seen many such acts of violence, and we see them today. We've seen acts of violence not just on a world stage, but in our country and in our state and in our communities. We don't see any time for them stopping soon. We've seen acts of violence, some of groups like what happened in Charlottesville or like January 6th here in Washington. We've seen other random acts by individuals like the murder of four students and the wounding of others in a high school in Michigan or the murder of our black brothers and sisters or people of color or natives. And it's not just the physical violence that we can see. A, a recent study by the American Psychological Association tells us that there are today historically very high levels of psychological stress in all of us. This is a violence against souls and minds. Hardly a surprise as we're halfway through a second year of a world-shaking, deadly pandemic, witness to racial injustice in our cities and country and towns, witness to economic instability, to unsettling claims about our elections and democracy, and social unrest marked by violent confrontations and threats of violence. So how do we use God's hope? How do we use this Advent, this coming of Christ? We can do it by putting a candle in the window of our heart. There's an Irish tradition. My people, most of them are from Ireland. And there's the Irish tradition of lighting a candle and putting it in the window. Now, when asked what that was about, it was they said it was a way of telling the Christ child and the Holy Family on their way to Egypt that this would be a safe place. The tradition began during the Elizabethan times and Cromwell's times where, where the people in Ireland, Roman Catholic, were viciously persecuted by the crown, by Cromwell. And that candle in the window was a signal for the priest who was running and hiding or for those who had, been, had warrants out for them who were running and hiding that this was a safe house. And, Technically, the Irish people didn't lie to the British. The priest was seen as, as the representative of Christ, and they even had been carrying the communion, which in their belief is the body of Christ. But they put a candle in the window. There was a candle of hope, that hope was there. That hope was there in a window for the hopeless. 
we too can have that hope to share. The tradition of one offering hope, of sharing hope with the hopeless, they were risking their lives to keep God safe, and so was Eddie, and so were many others. And that's done by placing all your hope in God. Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. As, as we hope in God, that is all it is in his hands, we can offer one another and others hope and, and safety. Those who held the candle to the window were offering that hope of safety. That is, they were not looking for hope to come to them. They were looking for the hopeless to come to them. And that's what it means to be the light in the world. That's how Christ shows that the Herods of the world and of history must fail. That's why we need to have our light in the window of our heart throughout the year and not just at Christmas. I'll let Brian McLaren have the last word on this. So let us light a candle for the children who suffer in our world because of greedy, power-hungry, and insecure elites. And let us light a candle for grieving mothers who weep for lost sons and daughters throughout history and today. And let us light a candle for all people everywhere to hear their weeping. In this Advent season, we dare to believe that God fills their pain and comes near to bring comfort. If we believe that's true, then of course we must join and God and come near too. That is why we must keep Herod and the ugliness of his mass murder in the beautiful Christmas story. Amen.